This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time on a busy afternoon. The rain will probably pass when this is published, but down here in Virginia Beach, we've had almost flooding. It's amazing, right down at the mouth of the beautiful Chesapeake Bay. And today we have another very interesting guest. I mean, it's so much fun for me to have this opportunity to talk to these really cool people that are out there in the world. And they're pulling so many interesting things together. And today, Jasmine Tarani is going to be joining us. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on board. We appreciate it. Thank you. So what she's going to be talking about is a variety of different things, including how she developed these new ideas that she has, how she actually applies them on a virtual context. She talks to people all over the world. And then her new book. So we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to push on in just a minute. Let me tell you a couple of things from our support network. Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers that are way beyond the guesswork that is the way people are practicing far too often. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and those medical providers who would like to really move that data more effectively into their office. Check out their website for references and testing details. And take note on this, folks. You can register for a complimentary test drawing. And these tests value ranges from like $219 to $400. So what you have to do is go over to this website and see what the offer is for this particular week. And their website for this offer is greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash core brain journal. They test everything from uh, organic acids to IgG testing to mycotoxins. I mean, very, very comprehensive. So we're happy to have them on board with us. So let's go ahead and talk about Jasmine a little bit. She's a licensed mental health counselor. She's trained at Columbia University, and she's an educated personal life expert. That is a comprehensive statement. In private practice for more than a decade, she's the creator of a concept, life therapy, a synergistic combination, get this folks, of psychotherapy, coaching, mindfulness, and meditation. Really very interesting. I look forward to hearing about it. She's a recognized industry leader. She's also a published author, public speaker, world traveler, and most important a mom. So, in the, And the mom thing has come up. She's now launching her book, Extraordinary Mommy, A Loving Guide to Mastering Life's Most Important Job. And, you know, I totally agree with that because the issue is, first started podcasting, I was like, you need to find an avatar. You need to find who you're talking to. You'll get a kick out of this. And I said, well, I want to talk to women because women rule the world. They're fixing their husbands. They're taking care of the kids. And, you know, and guys are just doing something out here. But when you really look at what the evolution of, the, of humankind is about, it's about the mom. So it's a real privilege to talk to you. So let's get started with where and how you got into this 
it's a different wrinkle. It's not, it's not routine. So let's talk about how you got started, please. So I, uh, I grew up in a home that was far from ordinary. My friends used to call it, lovingly call it, Willy Wonka's factory. So my mailbox was shaped like a big pink heart. The border around my house was purple. Every post on the walkway going up to the house is a different pastel color. Every cabinet in the kitchen was a different pastel color. There was ice cream on the walls and hearts and illuminated signs of love and hot pink couches. It was kind of this, this love bubble. Mm -hmm. And this home was really the manifestation of my mom's commitment to be love. She was essentially love incarnated. And obviously my dad was there, but she was the pilot. He was the co-pilot, like you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. He lived with hot pink couches. That was far <laughs> for the course. So, but not just, you know, living in a little Valentine's Day bubble, but the way that she lived was also very deep, very connected, very intentional. The way that she parented was really powerfully present and conscious and open and easy. And it, it was a very... Um, of all the people that I've known, of all the clients that I've had in 10 years of private practice and 60 countries of world travel and all my friends and all my family, I've never come across somebody who parented with the love and the intention that I received. Oh, fantastic. And so it was. It was really um, a really powerful experience. And I think that, you know, growing up, I was aware of how unique it was. And on some level, I think that I felt unworthy. That I, I realized that I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't earn it. I just got lucky, quite mm -hmm. frankly. So, you know, I w went along with this lovely life and I got married, had a child, got my degrees, had my practice, this whole thing. And, you know, had this beautiful life. And essentially, you know, I had always been taught these, these skills of inner work, right? That was what I was trained in. That was kind of the upbringing that I had. She was very spiritual in nature. We meditated before we went to bed every night. So I had kind of all these tools in my toolbox and never really had to deal with overt issues, you know, the regular first world problems, let's say, you know? <laughs> so then one day my mom was coming to meet me for lunch and I lived in Miami at the time where I actually currently live. And she was on the West Coast. She was driving to come for the weekend. And she was on the highway and she was coming to meet me and she never showed up. And I'm calling my dad, trying to find out, you know, have you heard from her, the whole thing. And eventually we're calling the highway patrol to see what had happened. And there had been a head-on collision. Mm -hmm. And the person going south lost control of their car and drove all the way across the grass median and died instantly in oncoming traffic. And yeah. no further information was, was available. So I'm never going to forget the call. My dad on the other side of the phone, screaming, crying, my wife is dead, my wife is dead, he's crying, I'm crying, I couldn't, he was driving, I'm scared, take me with you, you know, he was insane, and it was the most kind of intense moment of my life to have this realization that there was, there was nothing that could be done and that she was gone. And after I hung up the phone with him, at the time I was living on the ocean, and you know how like the sun can kind of kiss the waves and you kind of see the little sparkles. And it was this really peaceful moment. I have tears pouring down my face. I'm all by myself. And I kind of hear her voice in my soul, you know, as tears are pouring down my cheek. And it's, I just heard you're going to be okay. It's okay. And you're the mother now. So needless to say, it was uh, the most 
tragic, painful year of my life, dealing with my devastated father. I had a one-year-old child, my private practice, a new marriage, a house renovation, friends, like the whole thing. And all of a sudden, I lost my rock. I lost my everything. I mean, this was my, this was my person. And out of nowhere. And she was 64, and it was the week before her 65th birthday. And we had planned a surprise birthday party for her 65th birthday. And she died actually at mile marker 64, at age 64, the week before her 65th birthday. And there was a cruise, 50 people had booked tickets to come on a surprise cruise she didn't know about. And so her birthday became her funeral, and everyone was already booked to be there. So, you know, we had this whole year that kind of experience of the perfection of it. I mean, she was, like I said, she was a highly spiritual person giving me books about death, dying, life, energy, all these things since I was a kid. It was always part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like she was eerily preparing me for this completion, you know, that part of what made her live so fully was this awareness of mortality that Mm -hmm. was very comfortable. She was comfortable with it. It was very present, but it wasn't a fear-based oh, we're going to die. It was like, no, we're going to die. It's inevitable for everybody. Nothing is guaranteed. Let's enjoy every moment we've got. So anyway, I was really, I was raised with this kind of deeper understanding. So then this year goes on and her anniversary of her death was coming. And I started the day, you know, that the day of her anniversary of her death, I started with this kind of gloomy feeling, obviously, of this reality check that she's still gone. You know, that's kind of the, the recurring theme of these moments were like fuck like mm-hmm. still like you're still not here yeah yeah but so i started that morning and i decided to take some me time for myself i left my son my two-year-old with my husband at the time i was pregnant i left my son with my husband and i went to get a massage and um at the massage i started having some rumbles in my tummy and i was having contractions And I started, I called the doula, I called the midwife, my husband, my dad, who was still in Sarasota, everyone to come. And I took an Uber. I left my car there because I didn't want to drive. And we started having attractions. I went home. I had home births with my children in the bathtub. So I went home and um, and an hour and a half later, my daughter daughter was born on the anniversary of my mom's death. So... We called my dad to tell him what had happened, that his granddaughter was born. He was driving to us on that road, and he picks up the phone to find out that his, his granddaughter was born, and he pulls over in disbelief because he was at mile marker 64. Oh, my The God. spot where she was when she left was a spot where he found out that my daughter was born. So as if this wasn't enough, there's one more piece of the, the story. You got the energy for it? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So... My brother, so it was just the two of us, it's just me and my brother in terms of siblings. And so my brother at the time was 29 years old. He was a Harvard government major. So it was kind of random that he decided to get into the movie industry. So a few months before this, he tells me, Jazz, you're never going to believe this. My movie got into Sundance Film Festival, which is a super huge deal. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, 12,000 people who applied, 200 get in. I mean, it's a really big deal. And, you know, we're so excited. I can't believe it. Oh, my God, the whole thing. And then he says, guess what day Sundance Film Festival starts? On the anniversary, January 22nd, 2016. So the day my daughter was born, 
was the anniversary of my mom's death was the day that I got the biggest gift of my life and my brother got the biggest gift of his life because not only did his movie get into the film festival that started on that day, but it won. Oh my gosh. It won Sundance Film Festival with the biggest sale in Sundance history. Oh my gosh. What's the name of that movie? It's called Birth of a Nation. Congratulations. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, right? So. Yeah, births. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I never even thought of that. My birth, his birth, everybody. Yeah. It, was, it was the whole life cycle right there. Mm. So with that said, you know, it was a really big, I don't know, it really was a peaceful grounding experience after having mm. such a painful year that it all kind of came full circle. And the truth is, if anybody was going to be letting us know there's more to this life, it was going to be her. You know, that was right. what she was talking about my whole life. So with that said, after this day, this book started just coming through me. And what I realized is that I don't have her anymore, right? And I had this extraordinary mommy and I want to be an extraordinary mommy to my kids. But what were the core principles? What was the heart of what made her so extraordinary? It wasn't that, okay, she made cookies or she had lots of hearts around the house. It was, it was the quality of her presence. It was who she was and how she showed up. It wasn't just what she did, but the quality of her presence and what were kind of the core principles that allowed her to show up for us in that way. And so this book just kind of came through me and I, I was really summarizing it for myself, right? Is that I don't have her to ask questions and I don't have her to, you know, call when I'm crying or someone's yelling or somebody's exhausted or all these things that I don't have it. So it was me kind of bottling her up for myself. And then I just realized was that, hey, the rest of the world could probably gain (laughs) from this value as well. And so it's these 10 core principles that are really summarized from the perspective of a new mom, right? I can't claim to be an expert parent as a mother of just a two and a half and a four and a half year old, but I did have one. And as a psychotherapist, you know, I'm very aware of the parent-child dynamics of who you are who and who you become is so directly correlated with how you're parented. I mean, your mom is your first love, right? Is mm-hmm. You learn how to love from how she loves you. And you learn what it feels like to receive love. You learn if you deserve love, if you get in trouble. Like all these ways in which we react with the world around love is quite frankly, right there from your, your mom, your first love. And so what I realized ultimately was this sense of unworthiness that I had growing up that I didn't deserve this love was unjustified because not only did I deserve to be loved like that, but all children deserve to be loved like that. And that a mother's love, there's nothing more powerful than a mother's love. There's nothing more important than a mother's love, but the challenges of life, the stresses, the the heartache, the storms and what have you of life get in the way from mothers leading with that source that they have within them. So it's really about how to help mothers strengthen their ability to connect with that love that they have so strong inside and to not get caught up with themselves. And so the second part of the book is really about that self-care, that self-care foundation of the psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical care that is required to take care of oneself so that you can show up for your children in all these 10 ways that are necessary. So that's my synopsis. That was a lot of talking, but not at all. I didn't want to hesitate. I didn't want to interrupt you at all. I mean, I'm glad you didn't hesitate to just go ahead and say it because you know, it's profound. There's some magic in there. There's some obviously spiritually transcendent messages in there, but I think the thing that's most important is how you actually did connect with your mother in this different way. You were connected with her in one way, but by actually 
having that terrible experience and then putting the pieces slowly but surely together, you actually had a transformational level of connection that previously you didn't have as a child. You actually had a connection with her as a woman. And it sounds like that's what you are hoping to communicate effectively with with your readers. And and I know you communicated effectively with our listeners here. It was just a, <laughs> a profound moment here listening to this entire story. I mean, you know, you get a little distracted by what your brother did out of Sundance, and that's great. But it's interesting because there is that theme of uh, cognitive and emotional evolution. You know, both your thinking was working and you were thinking differently as you were going along and you were condensing material and you were emotionally, what we say, sorting out some of the pieces that were left after that experience. And, and you really had a transcendent moment. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I realized was that, you know, a lot of these tools that I think that we as practitioners teach and preach are, it's really interesting when you're actually given the opportunity to use them. Right. So part of what it is that I do is helping people deal with their emotion. You know, that it all comes down to your thoughts and your feelings. Your behaviors are directly related to what you're thinking and you're feeling. And so all of a sudden I was dealing with so many feelings that I had never experienced before. I mean, the darkness and the pain and the emptiness of of us was the biggest pain of my life. And so it was really powerful For me, you know, it's interesting. I think about kind of the loss of my mom and and the births of my children, those two, the home births, particularly the fact that I did that at home, were these three opportunities that I've had to actually utilize all of these skills that I've known about, about being present with your feelings, by not running away, by sticking, sitting with it and breathing and, and not being scared of what's going on inside of you and embracing your full humanity have been really powerfully yeah, yeah you, you, you realize yeah. them. Now, listen, that is such a terrific segue to the next question that I wanted to ask you. And we're going to take okay. a little break right now, but actually I have two questions. Uh, and I have the one, the second one in my mind, I won't bother you with trying to remember two of them. But <laughs> the first one would be the translation of that experience into what you do with therapy. Because I am terribly, as a psychiatrist, as a person who's been out there practicing you know, working in the field for, you know, many years. I'm always looking for new answers, different ways to cut the pie in some constructive way that a person on the other end, on the receiving end, can connect in a effective, sometimes very time-constrained way. We just got to get this message across. We have to connect because if we don't connect, that message doesn't get across. I see so many people with second opinions who never connected with anybody. They're just out there moving around, taking medications and so on and so forth. So we come back. The question I'm going to ask you is, how do you translate that into your practice with these variety of things that you do virtually? It'd be very interesting to see how you actually work that out. So folks, we'll be back with Jasmine in just a moment. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere 
with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot, they get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at httpgreatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, welcome back, folks. And Jasmine Tarani, thank you so much for sharing that really evocative story. Uh, the narrative, I don't like the word story. I keep using the word story because it is a story. It's a narrative. But, you know, it's so much more than a story. Story almost diminishes what it is. It's, it is a story. It's an accounting of what happened. But it's a whole different level of experience a person's life. Now, how do you actually translate that experience? And maybe this is not the correct crowd. I mean, I'm really looking on the first level at what you actually do with people virtually that pulls these different pieces together in some constructive way so that they can actually connect with you more effectively. Well, so in my work, essentially the way that I, I remember when I was becoming a therapist, you know, when you become a therapist, you have to go to therapy. And I remember just wanting kind of this roadmap from my therapist, you know, you just explain to me what's going on inside of me, like which direction. And I just wanted to kind of have a roadmap for that inner space. And Unfortunately, she wasn't so great at helping me get that, but eventually that's what I was really focused on creating for myself so that I could help people is that we all have these different experiences, right? But at the core of it, there's, there's thoughts, like I was getting into before, there's thoughts and there's feelings and they affect our behaviors, right? What you think you feel is going to influence how you act, right? And a lot of times we're not self-aware enough to know that it's our thoughts and our feelings that are triggering these behaviors. And quite frankly, most people are, are more comfortable in their thinking than in their feeling that there's a lot of really um, unhealthy relationships that humans have with feelings, avoidance or distraction or self-medication is that if it's not happy, because we have this system where we think that we're always supposed to be happy, that if we don't feel happy, that something's wrong. And then we're trying to avoid our feelings and find some other way to feel. And so, you know, growing up in this really happy home, actually, a lot of my own inner work was learning about my darkness, learning about my pain, learning about my guilt for not suffering like the children in Africa. Like all of these different things is learning about how to embrace the full humanity. And what it really comes down to for me is like when you look like at a glass, if you fill it, if it's half full of water, right? If you, a lot of people, this is kind of this cliche thing, like, are you an optimist or a realist, right? Or, but people say, oh, well, I try to focus on the positive, right? So they look at the half full part of the glass. But then other people are like, well, I'm a realist. So they're looking at the half empty part of the glass. And people are like, oh, well, you should be more positive. You should focus more on the things that you need to be grateful for, right? Which is the 
but the half full part. But in what in the work that I do, it's it's not about shifting from one to the other. It's about becoming the glass. It's about becoming the space that allows that duality within us to exist and the understanding that all of the positive stuff, all of the half full stuff is beautiful and wonderful and worth the gratitude and enjoyment and the pleasure, but all the half empty stuff, like the death of my mother and the pains that we experience, that's where the learning comes from. That's the good stuff. You know, as painful as it is, as tragic as it is, when we lean into it and we embrace it and we know how to accept and be with those parts of ourselves, that's where our evolution, our soul's evolution comes from. And so from that perspective, I integrate this kind of, these four different domains, I guess you would say, is the psychotherapy, which is the deep dive into understanding your patterns, where they come from, why it is you think and feel you do, you know, kind of that, that deeper inner work. But the coaching part is, is more goal-oriented about how do we achieve certain goals in our actual life? How do we get to where it is that we want to be and deal with the resistances that we have to getting there? And then the mindfulness and meditation component is really how to shift that perspective to see yourself as more than just these thoughts and these feelings and to connect with yourself on a, on a deeper, more soul, soul level. And to understand that a lot of the things that we think are a big deal aren't really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. And some of the things that we aren't letting ourselves feel are really important to let ourselves feel. So it's, it's really connecting on all of those different planes, the emotional, spiritual, psychological mm. planes and realizing that we're this whole human and all of it is important and not just one your thoughts or your feelings by themselves. Well, you know, listeners, I think it's so important to really catch that last part that Jasmine said, because so many of our uh, individuals who comment about these things don't quite say it as articulately as she did say it, because I think so many of us, myself included, start breaking these segments down into different pieces. Okay, we're going to do therapy, or we're going to do meds, or we're going to, I think it's really uh, very strong, positive attribute that you have of pulling it all together. And I think the closure there when you were talking about it is this theme that we see very frequently is the transcendent nature of what is your real meaning with your life on this earth, right, as opposed exactly. to what are your conflicts? What was your mother, your father? Do you love your mother? Do you, and all those kinds of small content pieces right. to what's the larger message that you've received from whoever you've received it from are that you didn't receive and you need to correct, doesn't matter how it's going to go. If you're going to be that glass as opposed to the contents of the glass, then you really have to embrace it all. Now, I had a conversation, you get a kick out of this, because I was talking with a colleague of mine, and she's a very knowledgeable, very psychologically minded person. And she said, you know, I've got this page, and it's a, a vet's page, because I think vets frequently deal with trauma and pain in profound ways that people in ordinary life just don't get. And so Jocko Wilnick, I, I loaded his video on the front of the thing. And just to summarize it, he said the whole story, you guys need to go over to corebrainjournal.com forward slash vets because you get a kick out of how well he does it. But he's, he's talking about people that say, I have this problem. I don't know what to do. I got this and that and the other thing. And, and Jocko's phrase there is good. <laughs> and Oh, no, it's a, no, you know, it's a problem. I've got a problem. There you go. And, and so, and he's like, okay, but I think the affirmative nature of what you're saying here brought up with one word with Jocko, it's very simpatico with the whole thing of like, 
how can you use where you have been on any level, whether it's full or empty or whatever, how can you effectively connect with that in some contributory way to the overall evolution of humankind? That's really, it's a bigger question. Oh, for sure. And I really believe in my, my heart that she's gone so that I would have the courage to share, you know, that I'm on this, this mommy mission, if you will, to help moms connect more profoundly to this, this part of themselves, because I realized that this is the most important job that there is and that she gave her whole life to us. And now I got to be the only one of two recipients of this. And so how the fact that she's gone is for me to give. If she wasn't gone, I'd have less incentive. And I think that that's, that really comes down to that deeper purpose question. It really does. I mean, you are saying, hey, folks, and you're saying it with considerable humility. I'm, I'm trivializing it by, by saying it the way I just said it. But really what's happened is I've had this pain and as profound as it, as it was with the profound level of intimacy that I had with this other human being, which a lot of our vets experience out there with people that they were fighting with who were killed right. in action, yeah. are oh. damaged, whatever. And they, and they come into a different level of experience. How can I actually use this effectively? And the ones that are successful at moving on with their life do embrace the idea of there's a learning curve here somewhere. There's something I can draw out of this. Right. Whether I take it for myself, that's one piece. But if I can communicate it with others, and I find, and I'm sure you're this way because I just, you know, so much enjoy talking with you. If I communicated effectively, you said this when you were talking about your book, if I communicated effectively with others, I'm actually internally growing myself because mm-hmm. for me to actually formulate what that is, I have mm-hmm. to both at once embrace it and don't have it rule me anymore. I have to like grab it and hold on to it and own it. I have to own it. But in the same process of I, as I own it, I actually let it go. So, I mean, sorry to get so wordy myself. But no, no, that was great. I love it. That's, I think that's kind of the message. So how do you actually do this? In closing, tell us a little bit about what you do with your virtual practice, because I have a virtual practice myself, but I'd be interested in how you do some of these other things. Now, this is a little bit technical. We're getting away from the larger picture. That's okay. But I think if a person would like to connect with you, how do you do the meditation? How do you do some of these mindfulness practices from a distance? So one thing, I mean, you can go to my website, which I will tell at the end, but I have some free meditations that I've recorded that people can listen to. So you can watch those, listen to those. But essentially in in a session, it's you and me, it's our time slot. It's as if you're coming to my office, right? Mm -hmm. We we Mm -hmm. sit here as you and I are right now looking at each other over virtual, virtual world. And we're exploring your inner world, right? So you're showing up with what it is that you're going through and through a variation of questions and probing and understanding, we're exploring exploring that and getting clarity and creating goals. And then there's teaching, right? So I'm bringing in philosophies and insights and other possibilities also that are perhaps of value that you can take or leave. And, and depending on your comfort level or depending on and what it is that you connect with, we start to integrate those into, into your understanding of yourself. And we often integrate meditation. So if we'll leave a certain amount of time at the beginning, we always start with a meditation, but throughout, if there seems like it'd be something to meditate on, I'll guide a meditation. We can, I give you meditation guide, 
guided meditations for you to use during the week. We have goals that you work on through the week. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's traditional psychotherapy slash coaching with a twist of Mm -hmm. kind of deeper elements and Mm -hmm. and connecting to your soul. Uh, Yeah, I actually understand that. I've done a little bit of uh, guided imagery myself with, um, had some training in it a long time ago, a weekend of guided imagery and have used it a few times. I don't do much therapy with people anymore, but it was really transformational for a woman who came in whose husband died suddenly and she didn't say goodbye to him. So we took her to this quiet place and we engaged her in a conversation with her husband and she was able to, she didn't talk to me about it, but she was able to talk to him. Uh, I got goosebumps. Yeah, it's really powerful. So how can people get a hold of you then? Let's talk a little bit about that before we wind up. All right. Well, my website is jazz balance.com so it's jasmine with no e so j-a-s m is a mary i n is a nancy yeah. b like boy a l like larry a n like nancy c e.com and you can get free meditations on my site if you submit your email address they'll show up into your inbox some guided meditations for both you and your kids i have some guided meditations that i think are great for kids before bedtime my mom used to meditate with us every night before bed and i think it's a really great way for kids to wind down and connect themselves a little bit more deeply and nobody likes bedtime very much (laughs) and um and there you can also find how to get my book and sessions and speaking and all the other things that i do well, we'll have a link for your book there. And I, if uh, any of those meditations are in video, do you have any on YouTube? They are on YouTube. I mean, it's not a video. It's just my audio, but yeah. there's a, an image. But I'll, I'll pop s- one over on the show notes for people so they can just pop right in when they're listening to you and listen to this conversation. Perfect. Make it easy for them to connect with you that way. Love it. Because I think it'd be a lot of fun. You're doing a great job. So this is this is very interesting because what you're saying has a larger impact in terms of how we as professionals really start to think about it. Because I'm sure you see people that have bounced around with different levels of, hey, this didn't work. I tried this and it didn't work or I didn't feel like I was quite being heard, whatever. And when you're doing this kind of work, it seems to me that you must, and I, I haven't done this kind of work with you. I'm just guessing, of course, but it seems that you get down to a much more elemental level because the person peels through their own work. They have a structured work process outside of therapy where they're actually doing something to evolve themselves as a human being. I call it an inner workout. You don't expect your body to be healthy and fit if you're not exercising and eating properly. You can't expect your emotional, spiritual, a mental experience to be fit without, without exercising and strengthening those parts of yourself. We don't just show up happy and good, you know? And I think that was actually one of the biggest takeaways from my own life and with the way that my mom parented was that she did the inner work. The reason she was the way that she was wasn't a fluke. She meditated for an hour a day. She exercised for an hour a day. She was committed to her inner work as deeply as she was committed to us. I mean, we, as much as we were the center of her universe, she was there too, and there was no guilt about it. So I think that's really important that when you take care of yourself and everything else, everything else gets better. Now, Jasmine, I have to, we have just a couple more seconds, but let me ask you this question. This is probably a whole other uh, one hour. <laughs> but what was your mother's influence? Did she have a teacher? Did she have yes. a book? How did, yeah, how did no, she, she had a teacher? She had a spiritual teacher who she followed for about 30 years, and she followed, it's called Sound and Light. 
current meditation, which I never even knew was what it was called until I asked him after she died that that was the type of spiritual practice. So it was more a spiritual practice. It wasn't a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. It was kind of the essence of all religions is at the core a spiritual practice where you're connecting on that deeper level. And so she was going straight to the source. Terribly interesting. Thank you so much. Of course, a, of course. I mean, really, we covered a lot of bases in a short period yeah. of time. But Jasmine, this has been very, very interesting. And I just appreciate the way you pulled it all together in, in a very constructive way in a short period of time. I mean, what's to ask questions about when you just one thought followed the other and all came together so nicely? Oh, good. All right. That's good. I'm at, at least I'm being able to share. That's what happens after you write a book, right? You're yeah, right. You, get, you, know, you actually know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> well, Jasmine, thank you so much. We'll thank do this again so sometime. If you have anything else you want to talk about, let's uh, you know ring me up and we'll get you on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.